A wonderful good morning to all of you. This is a special day, you know, for most of you, you are preparing for Christmas, which is tomorrow. But in our German-speaking countries, you know, that is Germany, Switzerland, Austria, uh, our highlight is not the 25th, but the 24th of uh, December. And that's why you have songs like, Oh, Holy Night, you know, because we are, we are coming together in the evening and celebrate, and then gifts are given during that time. So for us, you know, uh, especially for me and those of us who are coming from that world, uh, for us today is the very special day. Uh, of course, we are celebrating tomorrow as well, and we are coming together for that purpose. So we are looking forward to that day. Now, when we come to uh, a time, you know, the time of Christmas, we know that a year is coming to an end. And uh, we are realizing, you know, that uh, something that God has been able to do is now being accomplished and completed in one way, and then only to start another chapter again in the new year. Now, of course, for God, there are uh, no years because he's living in eternity and timelessness. But for us, it's very important that we can be able to come to the end of a season, to the end of a year, and saying, okay, this year was maybe not the way I've expected it to be, but okay, now I'm going to start afresh in a new year. Today I want to speak to you especially about one subject that has something to do with our theme for the year. You know, and let me just read that scripture again that we have read from the very beginning that is up here on the, on the wall on our banner. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, uh, you know, Paul is uh, pleading with the Lord Jesus Christ about uh, the challenges, the, the burdens, the weakness that he was going through. And then God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, with that background, I want to speak about, uh, you know, something that uh, of course, now we are celebrating that is Christmas, but Christmas is not any has has not real meaning if there is not also the day of Calvary. You know when Jesus was uh, put on the cross and when he brought us salvation, salvation for mankind. So we need to see these things together, and I want to use these uh, two events with a few things in between. Uh, to just highlight, you know, how God is working out his power in perfection despite weakness, okay? The weakness that we see uh, in the birth of Jesus Christ and the weakness that we see on the cross of Calvary is really amazing, okay? And, and I want to take this time to talk about this. My theme today is disciples identify God's grace in weakness. Okay? Uh, if we are not true disciples, we always complain to God, why, why am I supposed to go through this dark valley? Why am I feeling so weak? Why do I have to uh, endure all this, this hardship, these uh, challenges, this uh, temptation, whatever it may be? But for Disciples who have matured, who have grown up, they come to recognize that in the weakness, God works out his power to perfection. And that's what we want to look at uh, this, this very day. Now let me read for you from the book of Matthew, chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible reads here, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that, time, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what is what the prophet wrote. That was the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then let me just read a few more verses from verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the, the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back to tell me so that I can also go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, this is a story that probably you have heard many times that often we read during uh, our Christmas celebrations. And I think it's very important for us to realize, uh, you know, what is being reported here has got a very, very epoch-changing power in our world, you know, because with Jesus, everything changed. You know, today, you hear people saying, politicians often say today is a epoch changing or it's a, it's a changing world in which we are living and to some extent that may be true. But when Jesus came, you know, the time counting changed, okay? Uh, we have a before Christ and an after Christ, Anno Domini, which means after his birth, okay? So we, we look back to his birth which was the central event that uh, God had to bring about for us as mankind to, to get salvation. Now consider how the Almighty sent his son as a baby. I mean, was it really necessary that God, the Almighty God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, would need to send his son into this world as a baby? Was it not a risk that Jesus would be born as a baby? Things that we all know, you know, there is high child mortality, there are all kind of uh, things that can happen to a baby, and uh, many babies never really reach adulthood because their lives are cut short. But be be apart from that, you know, there were also enemies, and, and Jesus uh, came into a world that was hostile. The father knew that uh, he had sent Jesus Christ into a world full of sin. And Christ, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Son of the Living God, would definitely, uh, you know, brush with the, the world of evil in this world. Now, we know that the, the world around us is arming to the teeth. You know, we are reading that uh, the people who are making weapons, they are not able to cope with the demands that are there today because there are so many uh, requirements and different wars that are happening. So those who are making weapons, they really cash in these days. But then we also know that evil begets evil. And Jesus told us that uh, what was happening in the past when 
the, the people of Israel were told an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is now no longer relevant because Jesus said you must love your enemy. You must pray for your enemies. You know, you must go an extra mile with them. If they slap you on one side of your cheek, you give him the other one too. So that's a very different concept altogether. And yet Jesus came into the world in order to live exactly like that. He didn't confront evil with force. We, we know, you know, in our world when there is uh, evil and the other one hits back again, it's like a spiral that never, that never ends. We have seen this and we see it right now playing out in uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine. You know, we see it in the Middle East. It's very, very sad, you know. I mean, yes, there was evil. There was, uh, there was uh, atrocities being committed. And unfortunately, these atrocities uh, uh, led to more atrocities from the other side. You know, like uh, in Hosea, the Bible says, those who sow the wind, they will reap the whirlwinds. So in other words, you, you, you are, you're trying to show up power and it will come back to you in worse currency than you have been sowing it in the first place. You know, in Galatians, we are told in Galatians 6 verse 7 that whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And so when Jesus came into this earth, he didn't come to uh, sow, uh, you know, an awesome power or the, the power of, of, of God or the righteous power of God. You know, he could have easily withstood all the evil forces of darkness, but he didn't do that. Okay, to the contrary, he was sowing love. He was sowing humility. He was sowing kindness and goodness. He was sowing, you know, a life of dedication. And that's why, you know, Jesus can expect that harvest to come back to him. Okay, that harvest the, the world does not understand anything about because that's not how the world functions. But we as children of God, we must learn from the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn how Jesus laid down his life so that we can live. We must learn to give love even where people don't love us. Okay, because if you sow love, one day it will come back to you. And praise God, this is a spiritual principle and it still works today. So Jesus appeared on earth you know, the very, the very uh, creator, because the Bible tells us that through Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth. You know, he is the one full of wisdom and, and, and authority, you know, uh, amazing. But when he came to earth, he left all of this behind. He stripped himself all the power, all the authority, and he came as a baby just like all of us. And as you know, a baby is unable to help himself or herself. You know, a baby needs to be taken care of. It needs care. And that care was provided by Mary and Joseph as far as the physical world was concerned. But this baby was also taken care of by the Heavenly Father. And we are going to see this in these uh, scriptures that we are reading, how the Heavenly Father took care of uh, his son. So when Jesus grew up, he required the mercy, he required the grace, and he required care. He was like any one of us coming into this world, helpless. But thank God, he was able to grow up. Now, these are things that, you know, we see Mary and Joseph did as far as their capacity was concerned. But there were things they could not have known, they could have not done. Okay, the Bible tells us that there were wise men coming from the East. 
And I know that most of the time when we are having this place here, uh, or in different, uh, different places where the nativity scene is being played out, we have three men, you know, and we have uh, assigned names to them. Okay, Caspar, Melchior, and you know, you know the, the story. And, um, and the Bible doesn't tell us any of this, okay? Actually, uh, most probably there were not three. Most probably there was a, maybe a group of 20 or 10 or, or maybe even more than that. We don't know, okay? Because the Bible tells us when these people came, okay, the Bible says some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. Okay, so you understand something happened there. Okay, these people were not just walking by foot. Maybe they were on horses or they were on carriages, we don't know. But they must have really made a very deep impact because the whole of Jerusalem was disturbed. Okay, King Herod was disturbed. You know, all of a sudden there are people, powerful people, maybe they were kings, we don't know, uh, from some eastern country. We don't know exactly where that was and thank God, God didn't tell us. Otherwise, some of you would claim Chipata to be the place where the, where the wise men came from. But we're not told about that, okay? It could have been Persia, it could have been, you know, even further, it could have been China, who knows? But these people came, and when they came, it had an impact on Jerusalem. It had an impact on Herod, and uh, you know, Immediately we are realizing that uh, this was not just three men walking a long distance from home. They came, you know, uh, probably in great luxury. Because after all, you know, they brought gifts, good gifts. They brought gold. They brought, brought incense. They brought myrrh. And, you know, these were all very expensive things. So these people could afford either to ride on horses or to have carriages, whatever the case may have been, they came and they made an impact in Jerusalem. And then they were asking the question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Okay, so they come to Judea. And in Judea, everybody is blank. Nobody knows what he's talking about. Why? We have a king. Herod is our king. You know, we don't know that Herod has a, has a baby at this moment in time because he was already elderly, you know? No, there was no newborn king. So nothing of that sort. So they all got disturbed and shocked. When they were in the midst of this uh, perplexed situation, uh, Herod was asking his, uh, his teachers, the teachers of the law, the righteous men, you know? Uh, those who were working in the temple, where is the Messiah to be born? Because when he heard about the newborn king, the only thing that he could think of is the Messiah. You understand? And these teachers of the law, they knew their Bibles, the Old Testament, they knew the prophets, and they came up with the answer. And they told him he will be born in Bethlehem, in Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, O land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, and he will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. That was a very, very clear connotation about the coming of the Messiah. And in, in, the, in the synagogues that was being taught, you know, uh, there was an expectation of the Messiah to come and save their people from, from the oppression they were experiencing at that particular time from the Romans. Okay, so all of the people, they knew it. And of course, one would say, wow, this is great. Finally, the Messiah is coming. But very interesting, the response was very different. Okay, 
Their response is a response of rejecting that newborn king. In fact, uh, Herod you know, plotted a plan in his heart to go and kill the Messiah. Now imagine, you know, just imagine for a moment, uh, God had written down about the coming of Jesus Christ, whether it was through Isaiah who had uh, written so many different, very, very clear indications about the coming of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ or whether it was Micah or many other prophets who spoke about the coming of the Lord. And then there was a little man, you know, yes, he was a king, but compared to the almighty God, who was Herod anyway. But this Herod decided not to accept the Messiah. Okay? In fact, he decided to kill the Messiah. The one Messiah that the scriptures had been writing off hundreds of years before, even thousands of years before, because even in the very Garden of Eden, God already spoke about the one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. Just imagine. And then there's a little creature who says, I'm going to kill this man. Okay? Now, humanly speaking, of course, this was a baby. Jesus was a baby at that time. He was vulnerable. He could have easily been killed by evil men. And, you know, the, the, the ability that Joseph and Mary had to protect, uh, to protect their child was, was limited. Of course, they did what they could. But if there was an army coming to kill their child, they would have not been able to do anything about it. Okay, so they were there celebrating uh, the first Christmas and there were no candles you know there were no decorations it was probably harsh it was difficult but nevertheless it was God's gift to mankind when Jesus came to this world that's where all the giving comes from okay because God gave the very best gift that he could ever have given to us he loved us and he continues to love us. He continues to love those who even nailed him to the cross. And even at the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So how could uh, Jesus come as a baby? Well, God had ways and means to protect his sons. That which he had planned from eternity could not be derailed by mere men, even if somebody was called a king, was called Herod, and people feared Herod quite a lot because he was a ruthless person. So the Bible tells us that Herod had a secret meeting with the wise men. Okay, he wanted to know everything about this child, okay? He wanted to know when the star was rising, what happened, how they, how they found out that there's a newborn king of the Jews. Okay, when they came from another country, maybe they came from Persia or they came from a further uh, afield country, you know, how did they know that there was the newborn king of the Jews? So in other words, these people had revelation. Okay? Even so, they were probably astronomers or astrologers, we don't know. Uh, the Bible actually calls the magus in, in Greek, that means uh, wise men, but it means also uh, people who were uh, able to understand the stars, okay? How they were able to see that star and how they were able to get the explanation to that, you know, we can only guess that God gave them a word of revelation. You know, this was not just accident. They were not just coming to Jerusalem and uh, were talking about uh, the, the newborn king of the Jews. How did they know that the Jews would have a new king? How did they know all of the details of that? And how would they know that they have to follow the star? But that's exactly what God told them, okay? So the wise men in the east, far away, they had a revelation. 
the people at home who had the books, you know, the books of wisdom, the prophets, they could even, even find out exactly where the, 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 uh, the Messiah was to be born. And they told Herod he would be born in Bethlehem in Judea. But none of them went there. Isn't that amazing? These people, they knew where he was to be born, but they didn't go there. Even when people came and says, we have come to worship him, they should have said, wow, let's go together. But they didn't. Okay. They were staying just right where they are. So that doesn't talk much about a welcome, would it? Okay. Now these kings or these wise men or whatever you call them, most probably they were uh, of royal descent, okay? They were coming to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they did not come with empty hands. Now, imagine that. This journey was probably, first of all, a long journey. It was a difficult journey. In those days, there were no highways like we have them today. There were no cars where you can uh, do 100 or 120 kilometers an hour. You know, uh, it took time. Animals are not very fast. So they may have taken weeks in order to arrive. Maybe longer, we don't know. Maybe a month or two months. And before they started off, when they got the revelation about the newborn king of the Jews, they put the treasures together, okay? They put gold, frankincense, and myrrh together. And, you know, I won't go into the details of gold and silver. I think gold is, 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 is clear. You know, it's, it's a very, very expensive resource. Frankincense, you know, incense, that was very, very important uh, in the worship of uh, the Lord. And then myrrh, you know, it had a special connotation about embalming. Okay, there are a number of things that you can do with, with myrrh. But all of these things were brought to Jesus, maybe pointing to his life in the future. Now these people, I'm sure they were directed what they should put together. Because remember, when uh, the emperor in Rome made a decree that everybody had to go to their, their place of birth and uh, Mary and Joseph had to leave uh, Nazareth and come to Bethlehem, they were probably not having a lot, of, uh, a lot of resources because it was something abrupt. And they had to go with as little as they had walking from Nazareth to Bethlehem. While they were called from Bethlehem to come to, uh, to, to uh, I mean from Nazareth to come to Bethlehem, others were preparing gold and, you know, myrrh and frankincense far away in the east. Joseph and Mary didn't know anything about that. God never revealed it to them. God never said, I'm going to send you some wise men and they bring you treasures. I'm sure they were having very meager resources. They couldn't afford to stay in a place uh, that was expensive. That's why they ended up in a stable. Everything else that was uh, probably in their means was full. So they came to Bethlehem and of course hoping that they would go back to Bethlehem. But then of course danger arose. Okay, That little baby, Jesus, was in a weak state could very easily be harmed. But then, I want you to understand this, and this is not only true for the baby Jesus, this is true for all of the sons of God, for all the sons and daughters of our uh, living God, okay, the Most High. He takes care of his children, okay? He takes care of you even in the midst of your weakness. In fact, he has made provision in your weakness that you know nothing about at the moment when you are suffering, okay? So the Bible tells us here, and let me come back to that again. You know, 
uh, that King Herod sent these people to go and, uh, you know, find their way to the child. You know, he was too lazy to go himself. He could have said, I want to come along. He could have said, you uh, wise uh, uh, teachers of, 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 of God's law, maybe you go with them. None of them went with them. They all went by themselves. And, you know, uh, when, they went, when they left Jerusalem, lo and behold, they could see the star again. I think when they came to Jerusalem, they assumed, wrongly so, but probably they assumed that now this is Jerusalem, this is the capital city of uh, the land of Judea. So they must know about the newborn king. And everybody was blank. Nobody knew a thing about it. That's why they were asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? And the only direction they were getting it is Bethlehem. But actually, they didn't know where Bethlehem was. I mean, they were strangers. There were no maps in those days. You didn't have Google Maps where you could say, okay, I'm going from here to there, then I'm going to arrive here. You know, they heard Bethlehem. But actually, they didn't trust the roadmap of those people. They trusted the roadmap that brought them all the way from the east to where they arrived at in Judea. And then as they started off leaving Jerusalem again, knowing this was not the place where they, were have to, where they had to look, they came to Bethlehem. And the Bible says the star was coming up to the place where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were and stood upon that, that building. And then they entered. They found the baby Jesus. Okay, they worshipped Jesus. Can you imagine how Joseph and Mary must have been puzzled? Okay, I mean, just think back to your home, okay? In every home there are babies born, am I, am I right? Remember when your babies were born or when your siblings were born. In every home there are babies, Okay. And imagine when this baby came to be born, a few days later, there come some wise men, you know? You know, very well decorated, uh, you know, in, 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 in splendor and luxury. And this was a poor place where Jesus was born, okay? But they didn't care. What they cared for was not the outside. They were only interested in Jesus himself, okay? Very often, you know, we get so hung up with the outside and we forget the very essential, and that is Christ, our relationship to him, Jesus the Lord. These people, they didn't bother about whether this was a stable. We don't know whether Mary and Joseph were still in the stable where Jesus was born or whether they were able to shift somewhere else. We don't know that. But imagine... Imagine how everybody was uh, shocked and flabbergasted when this, uh, you know, this group of people arrived and they brought gifts to the Lord Jesus. And not only did they bring gifts, okay, we, we, we hear that uh, there were the three different types of gifts and that's why people think they were three people, but the Bible doesn't say so, okay? There were probably many more. This is a plural. Okay, so three is also plural, but probably they were more than that because they left an impact in the city of Jerusalem. They left an impact uh, to the king who began to fear, you know, what do these people want here? You know, how can such a delegation come from the very far place uh, to welcome the newborn king? Probably even him, he didn't such, have such a reception when he was crowned to be king. So Herod did not want to have a competition. You know, when he heard about the newborn king, he decided that he would kill him. Okay, remember, a little man trying to rise against the eternal God who had planned this even from before the foundation of the world. So as uh, the wise men had given their praise and their worship and their sacrifices to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They were ready to go back to where they came from. They had fulfilled their mission. Uh, they had a dream. And God warned them not to go back to Herod, but to use another route. Okay? Because Herod would have immediately used that intelligence and would have come to slay the baby Jesus in his helpless state. So the wise men left, going back to their home, taking a lot of secrets with them because we don't know much about them anyway. But leaving resources with Joseph. And then the dream came again to, to, to Joseph. Actually, it was an angel of the Lord who appeared to him. And he said, Joseph, take the child, take Mary, and uh, make up your way to Egypt. Okay? Don't stay here. Just go to Egypt. And again, you know, we see how God had everything under control because in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it says, out of Egypt I will call my son. Amen? So he had to first go to Egypt before he could be called out of Egypt. Okay, so he went, uh, Joseph went quickly, get, got everything together. At least now he had the resources that he needed to travel, and he traveled. And uh, soon, there was no trace of them in Judea anymore. Soon they were just gone. And so when Herod heard that, uh, you know, they, or, or realized that the, the wise men had left without telling him where uh, baby Jesus is to be found, he got very, very furious. And he mobilized an army, okay, and, uh, and, and got everything done. Let me just read this scripture, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. Or let me read from verse 13. When they had gone, these were the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and, and, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men or the magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its, and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then that was said through the prophet uh, Jeremiah was fulfilled. You know, there was mourning and crying heard in the vicinity of of uh, Bethlehem. Verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Asherah was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So imagine, Jesus was a baby. Jesus could not defend himself. He could not do anything in order to see off that, that trouble, that, that uh, impossible situation that was uh, like a sword hanging over his head. But God worked it out. And this is what Jesus said, you know. My grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Okay, so 
Jesus was in weakness. He couldn't even respond. He was not yet grown up. He was not yet mature. Uh, he could not yet uh, reason or talk. You know, uh, he was a baby. But God took care of his life. In the weakness of his coming, you know, the plan of salvation began to unfold in this world. Now God, of course, gave him some time now after the first uh, threats were gone, okay? Jesus was allowed to grow up in Nazareth. Nobody knew that he's the son of God. Nobody knew anything about the, the wise men from the east who came to worship this baby. You know, he was growing up in Nazareth just like any other child. No idea who is this child. But he was still the son of God. And so the next time that we, we read, in fact, there are two scriptures that are very, very interesting. You know, when, when uh, the, the, the people went back, when Mary and Joseph went back, the Bible says, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Praise the Lord. And the grace of God was upon him. Isn't that powerful? You know, like John says, he came in the fullness of wisdom, in the fullness of grace. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Later on, when he was 12 years of age and he was in uh, the temple of Jerusalem, the Bible says as he was going back, you know, then he went down to Nazareth with his parents and they was obedient to them. But his mother, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay? So finally, the time of his revelation was drawing near. When Jesus was turning 30 years of age, like all the prophets in the Old Testament, you know, they would normally start their ministry at age 30. Okay? There were certain exceptions, but most of them, they were just... Uh, beginning at age 30. Okay? And so Jesus was called to go to Jordan River. And of course, at Jordan River, you know, he was baptized by John, and the heavens opened, and the Father said, this is my dear Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Praise God. Okay? And the Spirit of God came upon him and remained upon him. But now, of course, Jesus was no longer a hidden secret, hidden away in Nazareth where he could be able to grow up uh, in, in peace. Now, you know, it was out in the open that Jesus is the Son of God. And instantly, instantly, he was attacked by evil ones. You know, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit took Jesus into the desert and in the desert, the devil was waiting for him. Okay, he tempted him. He wanted to short circuit, short circuit his, his uh, you know, mission of salvation for mankind. He wanted to do the best that he could to make it impossible for Jesus to finish his run. Now, imagine the devil even was so bold to ask Jesus to commit suicide. Okay? Okay, maybe you have never read, read it in the Bible, but it's here. Let me read it, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. The Bible says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, we must understand the highest point of the temple was not just like on a two-story building or three-story building. Actually, the highest point of the pinnacle was about, you know, around about 50 meters high, okay, where one could stand. They, actually, the, the tip was even higher, but about 50 meters, almost 50 meters high. That would equate to a 15-story building. And if you throw yourself out of a 15-story building, what do you think is going to come uh, to arrive on the, on the bottom, okay? So the devil said, throw yourself down, okay? 
And the authority that uh, told him to throw himself down was the devil. Okay, now of course the devil was clever. He quoted a scripture. Because he had realized Jesus is coming from the word. So he quoted the scripture. He says, okay, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, this was the word of God. But you know, when the devil is using the word of God, it doesn't work that way. Okay, so be careful, you know. You know, sometimes we want to find out, you know, God, uh, what do you want me to do? And then, because you don't get an answer, you listen even to the voice of Satan. And let me tell you, when Satan tells you anything, even if he quotes from the scripture, it is, it is a lie. Okay, it is a lie. So don't believe it just because the devil says, you know, uh, this is what the Bible says. Yes, the Bible says so, but only when, t- when, when, when we are walking in the will and the way of God. Okay? So, finally, you know, Jesus stood up there. I, I don't know how the, the devil was managing to make Jesus go up there. Uh, this, there are some things that are really puzzling, eh? But somehow he had the authority to take him up there because Jesus was to be tempted. Okay? And so he was up there on the pinnacle of the temple, uh, told by Satan, throw yourself down. That means you commit suicide, okay? Please, don't do that, okay? Even if the devil says, you know, the Bible says, nothing, will ha- nothing bad will happen to you. Okay, that's why, you know, many of the things that we do sometimes that God has not told us, and we think, God, now, please, come through. And God will not come through because he didn't tell you in the first place. Okay? That's why, you know, we need to be very close to the Lord. That's why we need to sit down with Jesus. Disciples are sitting down with Jesus like I was uh, speaking about last week. Okay, so Jesus is up there on the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, after Satan is quoting scripture, he will command his angels concerning you and you will they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written. Okay? And that's important, you know? That's why we need to know scripture. We don't need to be shallow, uh, you know, disciples. Disciples are people who must understand the word. Okay? And Jesus said, it is also written. And you know, Jesus never uh, preached for a long time. He just said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay? In fact, this is how Satan has destroyed many ministries in the past. Because the devil tempted them, do this. Okay? Like there was a man, which I told you in the past in Nigeria, who, who, who claimed that God had told him to walk on water. And unfortunately, a man could not swim. Okay, now that is a, a bad thing, you know, because if you, if you want to walk on water and God did not tell you, uh, then you can drown. And that's exactly what happened. That man drowned. Okay? I think you have heard, you have read in the newspapers in the last few weeks and months, a number of people who claimed that they had been told by God to go on a f- repeated fast of 40 days. And I think they were just in the very recent past, there were at least two or three people who died as a result. So you know now, this is not the Lord who told them. This is the devil who told them, okay? And very often, this is what, what, what is happening. You know, sometimes the devil will come to you and say, you can raise the dead. You know, yes, of course, we are supposed to raise the dead, but then, you know, if God wants to raise the dead through you, he will do it in a sovereign way. You don't have to try and masquerade Uh, like, uh, you know, you are doing it yourself. Many people have destroyed their ministries or have even died because they were tempted in that very way. And you know, these three temptations which are in Scripture, they will come to all of us in one way or the other, especially people who are in ministry. So the devil failed. He couldn't push him. You understand? The devil couldn't push him. It was was the free will of... uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that made him either to jump or not to jump. And he didn't jump because he knew 
that God did not tell him to jump. Okay, a little later, Jesus was in the temple in his home city in Nazareth. And he was reading the scripture. It was his turn to read the scripture. And when he was reading the scripture, everybody got amazed because they could, uh, they could you know, they could see and they could feel the grace that was upon Jesus. Okay, but then something strange happened. You know, the devil must have been there and whispered into the ears of some of the people, hey, this guy is just one of you. How can he be somebody special? Okay? Because he was reading from scripture, the Lord has anointed me. Okay? Actually, that was the very scripture that was beginning his ministry. You know, that was a, a ministry word for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the devil or his demons must have gone round. This guy is a cheat. Okay? And then they rose against him. The very, the very person, they were amazed about the grace that was upon him. That were so touched by the grace of God. And the next moment they decided to kill him. So they took him outside of uh, the synagogue. Took him to uh, a cliff that was there in Nazareth and they wanted to throw him over the cliff. But, you know, many times Jesus said, my time has not yet come. And so while they were trying to kill him, you know, there was a, there was a mob. And, you know, mob psychology is very difficult to, to control. If they all come against you and they want to push you down, what are you going to do? But Jesus was just walking right through them. And they could not touch him. You know why? Because the power of God, the angels that he had sent to protect Jesus were much stronger than the powers of darkness and the power of demons. Time and time again, we read that the, you know, the, the, the high priests and the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they came together and what Jesus was preaching did not fit their the idea of religion, okay? They were far away from what God had meant, it, meant the scriptures to be. And so because he was unraveling them, you know, he was, he was shaking their, their foundation, they decided they should kill him. I mean, this is quite a stark decision, okay? You want, you want to kill somebody because he tells, uh, he, he, he preaches something different, which is not, which you are not happy with. But they, they tried everything possible. And they could, did whatever they could. And you know, as you read the Gospels, you will find out there were many different locations where they wanted to kill Jesus. And they couldn't. Because Jesus said, my time has not yet come. So let me tell you, no matter what Satan sought out about your life, God is always ahead of him. Okay? Satan's plan failed. You know, look at Herod, he failed, he died. And Jesus rose, okay? The temptations failed. You know, Jesus was in a boat and there came a, a, a whip, a, 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 a squall of, 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 of a storm. You know, something that was not natural, that was whipped up by, by Satan himself. And Jesus got up and says, quiet, be still. Okay, this could have cost the lives of the whole group that were, in the, that were in the boat. So God takes care of his people. And, you know, he sometimes takes us through weakness so that we don't interfere with our thinking, with our natural human thinking of how we should help ourselves. Sometimes you are just so helpless that there's nothing you can do about the situation. But... Let me tell you, God is in charge and he will not come late, okay? Okay, sometimes we think Jesus is late. I, I know it in my own life. You pray and you say, this is, this is the day when it needs to happen. And it doesn't happen. But, you know, Jesus is not late. In fact, if Jesus comes late, then he will do an even, great, an even greater miracle. Remember Lazarus? You know, uh, his sisters were sending message, uh, your friend is sick and Jesus didn't come. And then Lazarus was dead. He was in the grave. 
And uh, when Jesus came, he didn't just heal a sick Lazarus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He told us of the resurrection and the life. Okay? But then finally, you know, he came towards the end of his journey. You know, he had to battle it out with his own self. You know, in Gethsemane, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, his flesh didn't want to carry the burden of sin. Okay? And he prayed, Father, if there is any other way, you know, take this cup away from me. But then he said, not my will, but your will be done. Now you can imagine how much pressure Jesus must have had. Okay? Probably we all have had pressures at one time or the other and we feel like we are squeezed. But it can never compare with what Jesus was going through because he was carrying the load of sin of the whole world. Okay? That cup where all our wrongdoing from the first person that lived on the earth to the very last one. And it was hard. But the Bible tells us that God sent an angel to strengthen him. You know, he was sweating blood that was falling on the ground. And finally, he came out from that place of prayer where none of his disciples could stand with him because they were all asleep, they were all tired. And he said, okay, let's go. The time has come. And interestingly, it was not the time when finally Jesus could kill Jesus. When Satan could kill Jesus. Okay, no. Jesus said, I have power to lay my life down and I have power to take it up again. But of course, all the machinations of Satan, they were working. Okay? They worked it out in such a way that an innocent man declared by the ruler Pilate that I find no guilt in him would still condemn him to death, would still hunt him over so that he would be crucified. Doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus was pinned to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. I mean, this is a place of utter helplessness. Okay? You can't do anything anymore. You are stuck. Okay? And Jesus allowed this to happen to him. He allowed evil men to treat him in such a way when he was only doing good while he was here on earth. So finally, it seemed like the devil succeeded to kill Jesus. Something that he failed when he was a baby. Finally, he had him where he wanted him to be. Okay? But we must understand that in the greatest hour of helplessness, that's where God will come through and that's where we are going to eventually reign. Okay? It may look like a success or it may look, have looked like a success when, when Jesus was hanging there at the cross, when he was uh, helpless, couldn't do anything. But... It was actually Satan's greatest defeat. Okay? This is when Satan was doomed. Jesus won the victory for every single one of us. The plan that God had made even before the foundation of the world was not a plan that was made in vain. It was actually being fulfilled station by station, step by step. No one could derail it. And many tried, many tried. But they couldn't bring the work of the Lord down. So God has a plan for your life. And if you go through weakness, you know, as a disciple, let us recognize, you know, and, and this is why it's very important that we are mature disciples, son of the living God, rising to the full stature of Christ, that we understand that even in my weakness, God will work things out for good. Amen. And this is what I want to tell you. This is what Christmas is all about. Okay? And, and Christmas without Calvary is not Christmas, you know. 
what does it help you to have a child born who is declared to be a savior, but, but salvation is never coming through? No, Jesus had to be born as a baby and he had to go to the cross. He had to be pinned to that root, helpless. But in that helplessness, God gave us our salvation. Amen? God gave us hope. And whatever weakness we pass through, remember what the Bible tells us, you know? That God said to, to uh, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And I want to tell you, it's not only for Paul, but it's for you, for you, for you, for you, for all of us. Amen? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen? And that you see in the, in the story of Jesus as a child, God brought him through. He made his plan perfectly work as he had planned it long ago. And when he finally was on the cross, you know, everybody thought, hey, finally he's done. You know, they were celebrating, but not for long, because Jesus triumphed over the forces of darkness. So Jesus had the power to lay down his life. And the Bible tells us, Jesus himself says, I'm like a kernel of wheat falling into the ground so that it will be bear much fruit. Jesus sought his life. Jesus was sowing love, kindness, goodness. And that's why there are millions and millions of people today who are gathering on this day, you know, and this day has started in the East long ago, maybe hours ago, and we are here together, and then as the sun is moving to the other side of the globe, you know, people are still gathering. 24 hours, people are gathering to worship Jesus, our Lord. He did, not, he did not fail. He succeeded. And so as disciples, don't look at the surface of things. When you are helpless, you know, it is just, it is just uh, important that you realize, God, now it's no longer in my hands. It's in your hands. I don't want to interfere because there's nothing I can do anyway. And remember how Jesus was hanging there. He was not able to do anything. But God's plan of salvation worked perfectly well. Jesus had drunk the cup. The judgment over sin came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody who believes does not need to face that judgment anymore. Isn't that powerful? So we want to give God thanks, you know. We want to celebrate Christmas knowing that, you know, we are human just as he was human. He was God, but he became human like us. He experienced the weakness that we also experience. He went through the dark valleys that we are going through. In fact, the valleys of darkness that Jesus went through are far deeper than the valleys that you can ever go through. You never have to carry the sin of the whole world upon your shoulder, as Jesus did. But Jesus saw the salvation coming through. The Father in heaven worked it out. The Holy Spirit was at work, and Jesus could not be kept in the grave. Okay, the same people who nailed him to the grave, they took him down from the, from the, I mean, the, the, the people who nailed him to the cross, they took him down from the cross again and put him into the, into the grave. And of course, as uh, Jesus was dying, the Bible tells us that there was a Roman soldier, a centurion, that was there guarding Jesus. And when he saw what was happening, there was an earthquake, and there were all kinds of things happening. They were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. They didn't know that Jesus, who was just dying, would rise up again. But they recognized, surely he was the son of God. And brothers and sisters, him we worship, the son of the living God. 
And don't forget, just like he was brought through his life and succeeded, God brings us, children of the Most High God, sons and daughters, disciples, through, even through the darkest valley. So don't give up, okay? This is the, the good message of Christmas. There's hope. There's good news. There is another day. Even if you find yourself in the grave, you will not remain in the grave. You will rise up again. May God bless you. In Jesus' name. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this Christmas that we are able to celebrate today and tomorrow and in this season. Thank you, Lord, that we can remember that you have given us the greatest gift that could ever have been given, your son, Jesus Christ, who came to us in the fullness of grace and truth, who came to us to redeem us from our misery, from our bondage, from our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you went through the different stations of your life, suffering, being in agony, going through so many hardships. And you did this all for us. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you. We want to bow before you. We want to lay down our, our adoration and our gifts before you for what you have done in our lives. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that even as you were on the cross, even when you were going through that darkest hour, even when you could not help yourself anymore, God worked out our salvation. God opened the temple, the host, most holy place, so that we can be in fellowship with the living God. Not just for time, but for eternity to come. Lord, we give you praise and we give you honor. And truly, Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>